Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Well, um, it is my absolute pleasure to be here. Uh, Kim Hammond and Luke uh, get together regularly, so Follow and City of Life have a lot of love for each other, which I think is good because we're trying to be kingdom-focused rather than denominational or church brand-focused, which is important, yeah? In such a, a disconnected world... Oh, Luke's still on. And he's, and he's amen. If you're going to amen all the way through, you can keep that mic on. But I just wanted, I wanted to start this by just saying that the other day I was listening to a podcast. I'm a bit of a serial podcaster. And I always have it on two times speed so that I can get through more podcasts. And this one podcast, the guy at the beginning said, take it off whatever you know, times 1.5 or 0.2 that you've got the speed at so that you can really take in what we're saying. And I had forgotten that I had been listening to podcasts at times two for like years. So then I turned on this guy that I listened to regularly and I thought he was in, I thought he was slurring and in slow motion. But it was actually because I've become so conditioned in my brain to listen to podcasts at such speeds all the time, and because I listen to a lot of them, when he started speaking, I was like, he is really off today. He had a late night last night, and he, he needs to see someone. And then I realized, no, you're listening to, to stuff at such a rate that when you hear who he actually really is, what he sounds like, you, you actually have missed what he really sounds like. And so I just want to posit that idea to you that this morning we slow down and hear the conversation about mental health because we're all living at a particular rate that is faster than, than anyone's ever had to live before. And I have a couple of stats. So I work at Berwick Secondary College with the wellbeing team. I worked in the statutory... Uh, space with um, youth justice and child protection, uh, young people for well over 10 years managing accommodation. And so I've had a lot to do with trauma-informed practices uh, and mental health. And so I have a couple of stats here that I think we should just go through very quickly. And I have a clicker. Here it is. And that is on also now. Here we go. So, Casey, Cardinia, we're almost one in the same. Apparently, rent is cheaper this side of the border. Um, But these are some stats uh, from around this area in this region in the southeast. Uh, So, 18.6% of individuals were classified as having a high or very high level of psychological distress. Uh, In comparison... Uh, to the Victorian average of 12.6. And then when you go to areas like Ivanhoe, Knox, they're down around like 6.2, 8.3, those kind of levels. But through this region, we have the highest rates. If you go over to Whittlesea, uh, where, the, where there's another fairly large growth corridor, they're sitting around the between 13 and 14%. So we're actually exceptionally high in terms of Victoria around psychological distress. Uh, this here is just a, um, based on the K10 
uh, questionnaire that you get when you go to a mental health, to get a mental health care plan with your doctor. Uh, these are just some statistics uh, in our end of town. Uh, you can see a few there. I took these stats because I, I spoke at Casey about these things, so I grabbed stats from all of our sites. But this gives you a bit of an idea. And you can see that uh, anxiety and depression in Casey is at 25% there uh, in comparison to the rest. And then the Victorian average, which is 24.2%. Some of the things that you would notice is that in some areas, they've got some other illnesses that are higher, um, maybe more so because they're more... Uh, aging and um, you know fixed communities that have been there for a long time but in terms of anything around psychological distress uh, we are well ahead of all of the stats across Victoria and then this is from uh, Mission Australia and the Black Dog Institute's latest report that they released earlier this year and this just points to young people 15 to 19 so we have there that uh, across seven years, we can see that males have gone from 12.7 up to 15.6. The top line worries me a lot, and working in the school I see this, but females are exceptionally uh, higher in terms of their representation of psychological distress. And you can see that they started at 22.5 and are now sitting at 30% of young females saying that they're experiencing some sort of psychological distress based on their environments, based on the things that they're experiencing. Uh, and, and you can look at why this might be, uh, but there's lots of... If you start looking at domestic violence in this region, you know, there's a phenomenal percentage of young females that have experienced, um, you know, really horrific situations. I don't want to be too graphic but from the ages of 15 and up, they're experiencing things that they shouldn't. And so I think that translates well into why the psychological um, pressures that young women are under is so high. And so this is why, going back to my analogy of slowing down, we have to hear the conversation and we have to hear it well, yeah? Because the next generation is impacted by the realities of these things and what we do now in order to present uh, opportunities for them to overcome rather than feel like this is going to be the burden that they need to carry into adulthood. So very briefly, uh, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to build a very solid theological argument around mental health based on the Bible. Primarily, it's because when the Bible was written, they were not wrestling with the kind of language and the presentations, how they described things, how they held the tension of what was going on for people in circumstances, their language was extremely different. But what we do know is that if we start at Genesis 3, we start before then because we know that before we were broken, we were made in God's image and he walked with us and he wanted relationship with his creation. That was us in our wholeness with him. But then we see that there is, a, there is a brokenness that happens between God, his creation, and his creation with itself. People's relationships are broken, and then our relationship to self is also damaged in that process. And so from that, we recognize that mental health, if this was a continuum of good health through to poor health, mental health, just like physical health, is 
we all have it. We all have mental health. It's just some of us have good mental health and some of us have very poor mental health. But generally, it's a continuum that some of us can find ourselves at different points of at different times in our lives. And so this is not how it has unfortunately been treated, but not just by Christians, by the whole world, because the world never knew what to do with mental health presentations. We have come to a place where we are starting to understand more about the brain, the plasticity of the brain, the pressures on the brain, but in that process also, it seems like our environment is causing more distress to the brain at the same time. And one of the things that I have kind of seen as a really solid um, way to start the conversation is from 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, it's up here. And I think that this is a good biopsychosocial approach to mental health based on God interacting with Elijah in the desert during a time of depression for him. And so it says that, but he himself went a day's journey, this is Elijah, into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And so here we see very practically... Elijah, struggling with depression, you know, making that statement of, you know, I'd be happy to go now. And we see that God presents himself in the desert in relationship to this person. He provides the practical, food and water. There's, a, there's an assurance of rest in that space for him. And then God is present where he is at. And God doesn't rebuke him. God provides him with what he needs. And then when he has the strength, that strength takes him for 40 days through the rest of that desert journey to the mountain of God. And I think that presents an incredible picture for what we as a community of God should provide to those around us, those who are here this morning who struggle with mental health, but those who we come into contact with week in and week out. This is our response it's a spiritual one, but it's also a practical one. It's being the hands and the feet of God and being present with people who are wrestling through these things. So uh, I don't think I need to say too much more on that. Um, I think that, you know, Matthew uh, 5.48, it says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, and there's a theologian, Stassen, who wrote a great... Um, uh, commentary on the book of Matthew, and he says that you can also translate perfect as be complete. And so therefore you could say, be complete as your Father is complete. And God is complete in his love. He is complete in his um, you know, giving of things that people are in need of. 
And that is our responsibility to be complete in our response to issues of abuse, mental health, those kind of things. So yeah, let's uh, kick this panel underway. And I might just pray. And the reason why I will is, you know, my mental health has not been great recently because I've had a few losses of friends. I have a lot of friends who are not Christians. And, um, you know, today's the birthday of a young person who took his life a few weeks ago, who I've spent quite a few years with. So I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for his family, ask that God would bless them, uh, and then we'll get it underway, yeah? Uh, Jesus, we just recognize that you are king, you are lord, you are shepherd, you are prophet. Uh, And this morning, Father, I pray that as um, the family come together to remember uh, this young man, Uh, who's just weeks out from his birthday. Uh, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be present in that place. That, Lord, your understanding of suffering, of being embedded and immersed in suffering, would be real to them. That there would be people of your harvest field that would be alongside them and would be able to communicate your heart into those spaces. Lord, I just pray for hope to be their good news, for them to be able to see life beyond the tragedy. Father, I pray for the young people that have um, watched this from the sidelines and been broken by it and confused by it. I pray that you would restore their hope, that you would give them an understanding that that life is bigger than the things that they have been promised. And Father, that you would just have avenues that would present the good news of Jesus Christ, the full truth of everything that you are restoring and reconciling and redeeming to yourself, uh, and that they would enter into that, into that truth and that they would know wholeness and, and rebuilding for themselves in your name, Jesus. And we pray that this morning would just honor that process. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, James, for sending that foundation. Let's um, show appreciation to James for that. The crew are just setting up for the panel, and um, I'm just going to take a moment to introduce them. Obviously, you've met James. Um, he's had a lot of experience as a social worker on the welfare team at Berwick Secondary and as a youth pastor at City Life, and it's great to have him as part of the panel. We've also today got Graham Can with us today. I'm going to welcome Graham up. Graham, many of you would know Graham. Graham um, was the senior pastor at Berwick Church of Christ for many years. Uh, he's a qualified Christian counsellor. And um, he's a little bit like Yoda of the Christian world in the southeast of Melbourne. Now, I don't even know who Yoda is because I hate sci-fi. Is he Lord of the Rings or Star Wars? Star Wars. Star Wars. I don't know. I just know that he's wise and he's uh, universally respected and he's got some great things to say. So you are the Yoda of the southeast. Is and it? very, very old. <laughs> okay, he's very old as well. So apart from that, Graham's like the Yoda of the southeast. So it's great to have him on the panel and I'm sure he has some great things to share with us. The next one is Candy Daniels. Uh, Candy is a clinical counsellor, she's a chaplain, and she's a supervisor of mental health professionals, and so we're really thrilled to have her with us. And last of all, from follow, we've got Leanne Griffiths, so you know Leanne as, yeah, give her a warm welcome, as the manager of our food van and um, on our pastoral care team, but she also has worked as a social worker and a counsellor and in the prison system as well, so it's wonderful to have uh, these four as a team, and I'm just the person who's going to ask the questions. So I've got the easy part today, and so Leanne and I prepared some questions this week, and I sent them out, and um, hopefully they've had some chance to, to re- kind of prepare for today. So 
We might just start with you, Candy, and as a bit of an overview question, um, what, what is mental health? Very briefly, mental health is our capacity to um, focus, refocus, or our resilience to deal with the challenges that we face. So like James said, we all go through it, but how we, well we bounce back, how well we can pull back when something happens is essentially what, how we define mental health. So some of the things that is mental health related is you all know anxiety, depression, PTSD, and it can range from self-harm, but these things create a rippling effect that keep going on. So it's, it's one of those things that, you know, we have to continually think about daily rather than wait till something happens. Excellent. So James, you showed some stats up on the screen a moment ago um, about mental health, um, particularly in this region. There seems to be a huge increase of mental health in recent years. Um, why do you think that would be the case? Is it just awareness, more awareness these days, or are there other factors that have contributed as well? Uh, yeah, I think that it's a large part of it is to do with awareness. Um, with, without getting too technical, uh, some of the things that I, I kind of thought about was that... Um, you know, we're kind of connected into what they would call a digital nervous system now, and all of a sudden, uh, we are far more aware of what's going on around us than most generations have ever been aware of. Um, and what one of the results of that is something that they call um, ambient anxiety, and it's just a low-level uh, lying awareness of everything that's going on around you all the time. And so if you look at the news and if you read an article online, you'll, you'll see that underneath there'll be five other news articles that you can tap on and move to them. And often a lot of them are connected to more crisis, more issues, more worries. And so this creates a broader uh, sensation that everything is not okay and people start to live with that all the time. It's like just a low humming noise that just irritates and gets worse and worse. Uh, and then also one of the other things I think with social media is that um, another thought uh, that people are discussing a lot at the moment is this idea of deep think where our devices have become our way of relaxing but you're not actually relaxing when you're on a device, you're not switching off and because our brains are so in this deep think mode we are constantly uh, in a state almost of feeling busy, feeling worn out feeling tired, and so then our capacity to bounce back with bigger issues uh, is reduced because of uh, just how, how we are feeling regularly. And we hear that in people's language all the time, you know, how was your week? It was busy, you know, and, um, and so these kind of things I think are just increasing this level of, um, yeah, of awareness to it. People are connected to the narrative of mental health. And so while there are some stats that are saying that young people are struggling um, with it, I think there's an increased awareness of it. Because mm. um, at the same time, and the other thing I would also add to that is that there's also stuff showing that the more comfortable you are, the less resilient you are. Because in war-torn countries, they're not having conversations about poor mental health because of exams or you know, a lack of comfortability. As long as they have the things that mean they eat and have shelter on a daily basis, their resilience is high, but their comfortability factor is really low. And that's something that we have to consider in the West. 
Mm. I think the social media thing is a really big thing. I've, I've listened to a few podcasts recently, I think similar ones to what you've been listening to as well. And um, yeah, I think sometimes we, the last thing we look at at night is our phone. And then the first thing we pick up in the morning, I think 93% of Australians now have a phone next to their bed at night. And so we pick it up, it's the first thing we look at, and we're actually allowing what we see to shape our, our kind of um, disposition for the day, and also as we're trying to go to sleep as well. So I think discipline, we're going to talk a little bit more about technology next year, and I've recently taken Twitter and Facebook off my phone because you so easily just pick it up and check and look what's going on, and then that sort of feeds the way you're feeling. And so... A discipline around that's really important. I think one of the great mirrors these days is the Apple iPhone gives you a summary at the end of the day on your screen time, and it will say, you know, four hours of screen time. You go, oh, yeah, I'm doing work, but it actually breaks it down. So it says social media, three hours and 59 minutes. Work, one minute. And so you can't actually pretend, oh, yeah, I'm using it for work. And so it actually reveals how attached you are to your phone. And so just learning to put some boundaries around that and some discipline around that can, I think, I found already just taking it off my phone um, my mental health feeling a lot better because there's not that ambient anxiety going on. So yeah, good, good thing to think about, I think, particularly for younger generations who, who are on their phones a lot for everything and um, it's really important to just put a bit of discipline in there and, and set some safe boundaries. All right, so Candy, there's obviously increase in mental health um, and so how does mental health come about for people? Essentially, if we don't deal with our emotional health. So emotional health is very much connected to our mental health because we are emotional people and we feel things. Our feelings come from our senses regardless of how that is. So if we are not able to regulate that, you know, we all have losses, we all have things that go on. But if we can't regulate our feelings, that will keep adding to the stresses and then it affects our mental health. So we need to watch what we are paying a lot of attention to. What are we thinking about on a constant basis? Because wherever our focus is, that's going to grow. We water it, we feed it, and we spend a lot of time on it. Mm. Yeah, scripture says, doesn't it, whatever's good and trustworthy and praiseworthy, focus on such things. Luke is stealing my scripture. There we go. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Zip it. All I'll right. Get, I'll get to that one. Okay, Luke, you're not on the panel. You're not on the panel. Okay, very good. So, James, um, obviously... There seems to be an increase. Maybe it's awareness. Maybe there's other factors as well. Um, and I think when I was younger, um, remember when I was young? That's what my shirt says, if you're wondering. Um, when I was younger, I remember, you know, thinking of someone who has mental health, it seemed to be quite rare. But these days, I don't think any of us really are exempt from this. Either we've experienced ourselves or we've got someone close to us who's going through poor mental health. And so how would you go about approaching a conversation with someone in your life that you're concerned about because you've noticed changes in maybe their rhythms of life or in their behaviours? So, I mean, when it comes to uh, mental health, you just need to be very forward in terms of the conversation. Uh, I think Are You OK Day does a good job of presenting how to ask if someone is doing OK, uh, check in with them, uh, and then support them in uh, finding uh, some avenues to get uh, professional support and then reconnecting with them to constantly check in and say, how are you doing? Uh, so the conversation is, is really very simple in terms of uh, engaging them around how they're doing. The thing is that you just need to listen. When someone says they're not doing very well, you need to, you need to hear that 
uh, and then and then just be really present to the fact that they have made that statement. Uh, and then when someone, when you're worried, I guess taking it that little bit further, when someone uh, communicates that they are they're experiencing suicidal ideation, uh, again, you don't muck around with with that. Uh, you you address it very head on. When someone uh, asks, you know, confirms that with you, uh, basically we would just ask them. How safe are they feeling right now? Uh, do they have a plan? And then you would immediately contact those people around you. If it's very severe, then you just call triple zero every time without fail, uh, and make sure that you you get the support of the people that are most skilled to manage those situations. But yeah, it just has to be a very forward approach to it. Yeah. Yeah, so that sort of flows onto the next question for Leanne. So um, James has talked a little bit about um, you know someone suicidal, but if you're concerned about someone, um, what are some of the immediate things you would do uh, if you're worried about someone's immediate safety? So when we talk about mental health, there's um, there's different scenarios for someone that being in danger um, or you being concerned about their health. So it could be that someone's threatened self harm to themselves. Or to, or to hurt someone else. Or someone might be so unwell that they're not aware of what they're doing. So they could be walking in front of cars. They might be trying to cook over an open flame, um, depending on, on what mental health we're talking about. So number one, which is really hard when you're close to someone, is not panic. Um, we need to think about first aid, and there are mental health first aid courses these days, which I recommend. But in first aid, you think about danger, safety, responses. So it's about can you clear the area? Um, you know, what can you do to make the situation safe and not put yourself in more danger or that person or anyone else? Um, number two, do not make any promises that you will hold information and keep secrets. That is something that is often asked of us. Um, please don't tell anyone. Um, so that person's safety, your safety and other people's safety are way more important than your feelings or that person's thoughts towards you at that time because they need help. Um, so we need to um, call for professional help. Don't take it all on yourself. That's, that's not um, our place to do that. So we can ring triple O, we can re ring psychiatric triage, which is at the hospital, and they will um, put you in touch with the crisis assessment team. They may or may not send that team out. Um, but if in doubt, call an ambulance and say that you may need police assistance with you. Ambul ambul uh, um, Ambos cannot um, physically put someone in the ambulance if um, that person's not compliant. However, police may be able to assist. And that can be a bit scary, but if someone's at that at the end where they definitely need help for safety, then that might be needed. Um, if someone's on the phone to you and they're not face-to-face -face with you, um, try and get the address of where they are. You might need to send out police for what we call a welfare check. You can ask for one of those. Um, if you can, keep them on the phone and be signalling to someone around you to call the police on your behalf. You could be scribbling down notes. 
and be as precise as you can when you're giving information to emergency services on what might have been a trigger for the person if you know they might have stopped taking medication, um, they might have had a change in medication, there might have been a trauma that's happened for that person. Um, you might know their diagnosis, you might not, but just try and be as clear as possible about what danger they are actually in um, and just try to stay calm. That's probably one of the biggest things. Yep, great. So you're going to hear a lot of information today. So just a reminder, you can go back to the podcast and listen to this again if you want to write down notes or take things down. We'll also put some numbers up on the screen. So you'll hear some numbers mentioned today and some that haven't been mentioned yet, but we'll have them up on the screen a little bit later and you can take a photo of the screen uh, or find them on our website. So um, James, just going back to you for a second, mate. You've had years of working particularly with young people, um, both you know in Dandenong and also at the school and at as a youth pastor as well, and, and a lot of people will find themselves at a different time in life becoming a support person for a young person that's going through a difficult time. What are some of the important things to consider with that support? Uh, the first question to ask yourself is, am I the right person to support them? Uh, if you're not the right person, you are doing yourself and the other person who requires support the best uh, you possibly can by affirming that right from the beginning because one of the things that is really hurtful for people that struggle with uh, mental health presentations is that they often find very quickly they feel like they're burning through relationships. Uh, people kind of put them in the too hard basket and then it feels like uh, that they're just a burden. Uh, and that becomes a really isolating factor, especially even within the church community uh, it can become a really isolating factor because they're kind of seen as a person who's constantly in need of help. So someone comes to you and says, I need support, and you can't provide that support, you are doing them the best by informing them of that and then helping them to, to, to find the people that can support them the best. Uh, and then the other thing I would say is that you never do the support by yourself. Uh, systems Theory 101, you can only support a person best in light of community. So if you have small groups, you have the larger church setting, you have people that can support that person as a whole unit, that is always going to be sustainable in the long term rather than someone taking on the, uh, the responsibility of them being the person uh, to help that, that other individual out. Uh, and, and ultimately, that's where potentially you uh, put yourself at risk of burnout as well uh, if you take the sole responsibility of caring for that person. So, yeah, that's what I would say to that. Yeah, awesome. I should have said this at the start, but if anyone on the panel wants to jump in at any time and add it, I think feel free to do that, um, especially you two at this end. We haven't got you involved, but we will. Don't worry, it's coming. Um, so maybe I'll just throw this open to the whole panel. I have Leanne written down, but anyone else who wants to answer can as well. Um, what would you say to someone who's reluctant to help because the time commitments or the burden of carrying someone else's issues can feel like too much at times? I think James has answered a little bit of this is to not hold the responsibility all by yourself. So it's really important to have a um, support team, I guess. Um, but as a friend, when you're caring for someone, it's okay to put boundaries in place and be honest about what you can and can't provide um, and also be honest about what is the professional domain versus what is a friend's domain um, because people will draw from you um, and at the time someone's unwell, they might not be able to recognise that what they're asking of you is too much because 
they're not maybe seeing clearly at that time. So to provide that um, time to them or love and support, you need to be honest about that. Self-care for yourself is important. Um, you need to have your own supports in place um, and also connecting them with people who can help as well so it's not all on you. And just being aware that um, there's something called vicarious trauma and that is when um, you're spending time with someone and they're telling you their story and their mental health might be related to a trauma that's happened to them or, and something significant in their life. And as you hear their story, you take that on and then you can be affected by that as well. And so you're traumatised too. So you need to make sure you're getting the right support and it might mean that you need to set up some time to meet with someone else away from um, that person. But the main thing, don't take it all on by yourself and give what you can and be honest about what snippets of time you can give. Can I just add to that? You know, um, I like to always go back to scripture. Jesus sent them out two by two for that reason, so that we are not doing it alone. And, you know, if a friend says to us, but I just want to talk to you, that's okay, but make sure you involve someone else that's going to care for yourself. You know, always, always get someone else on board. In churches, there's pastoral care teams, there's pastors for a reason. Involve them. Mm. Yep, very good. Graham, your moment's come. <laughs> do I need to speak very fast so, so uh, you, do. you can understand? Yeah. You're yeah. very interesting. So we have you on normal speed. Oh, okay. Other people we've got on double speed. So you've had a lot of experience from a spiritual point of view as both a, a senior pastor and also as a Christian counsellor. Um, and you've probably heard all sorts of approaches and attitudes towards mental health. I'm sure some have been very helpful and some maybe not so helpful. What would you say to attitudes like um, mental health means that you don't trust God enough or mental illness has come about because you've done something wrong, such as addiction or, or something like yes, that? Yeah. It's a very complex question because you need to think about the fact that there are some areas of um, mental uh, ill health and psychological ill health that are rooted very much in biological issues, chemical imbalances and so on. And so to have an attitude, and I've heard that often, uh, that all mental illness or mental ill health is a direct result of, of sin is a very destructive uh, attitude and not helpful at all. Uh, the, the, the other one that goes along with that, and a lot of Christians fall into this trap themselves, is that if I have a lot of faith, then I shouldn't have to take medication uh, for whatever it is that I am struggling with. Uh, the obvious one, the one we hear about most, is depression. People say, well, I'm not going to take medication for depression because that's a sign of a lack of faith. Um, that's, that's nonsense and all mental illness needs to be approached uh, from a holistic point of view and a, a broad approach point of view. So it will involve appropriate diagnosis by a doctor and it will involve um, uh, appropriate medication sometimes and it may well involve counselling and pastoral care as well. Um, in, in the area that I've worked in for a long, long time, I'm mainly dealing with people who have various um, 
mental ill health as a direct result of woundedness, past woundedness in their lives. So they're people who have been um, sexually abused as children, uh, which was, was um, my own experience as a child, or it may be people who've been through other traumatic losses and events in their lives and are now suffering with um, recurring depression or recurring um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder areas. And so the Christian, the spiritual aspect becomes very important here because we have got some wonderful truth around the subject of healing, of inner healing. And so stuff that people have carried for 20, 30, 40, sometimes 50 years um, and has, have not been addressed by secular psychology and have, have created conditions that have only been managed by medication can find a real way forward uh, by applying such spiritual principles as forgiveness and things like that. Mm. So just bouncing off script a little bit, just hearing about your testimony of what happened to you as a young, mm. young person, what are some of the things that you found helpful to kind of overcome that and to function well? Um, you know, obviously, you've lived a, a life of pretty high capacity and mm. ministering to many others. Mm. What are the, some of the most helpful things that you found to, to work through that? Um, yeah, lots of them. Mm. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that people who have suffered childhood trauma, be it abuse or rejection or bullying, um, one of the things that we carry is shame. Now, you would think that if, if you're suffering from something that has obviously been caused by somebody else's behaviour, then the only feeling you would really feel about that is anger. But that's, that's one of the feelings. But a really deep feeling is a feeling of shame. Somehow, I was to blame for that happening to me. And so one of the principles, of course, that is, is very powerful in this area is that Jesus not only died for our sin, but he died for our shame. And uh, we're able to, to come to him with our shame, even though it is not logical or rational, if we feel it, then it's powerful, right? And, uh, and, and it's destructive if we internalize it. So to be able to come to the cross with that perspective. The other biblical perspective is that uh, Jesus has not only died for every sin that we have committed, he has died for every sin that's ever been committed against us by someone else. So that opens up the whole possibility of if, Jesus could, if God could forgive me through the death and resurrection of Jesus, then it's possible that I may be able to forgive others through the same death and resurrection of Jesus. And the Bible says, the scripture says in Ephesians, um, uh, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Uh, that's not just a teaser, that's an opportunity, that's a possibility, that's mm. our potential. Uh, but when we're locked into anger and resentment and bitterness that's been there for a long, long time, to come to that place where I'm prepared to apply those biblical principles is, uh, is difficult. Um, Lots of people have said to me, and I've said it lots of times myself, I know I'm angry. I've got a right to be angry. <laughs> no, nobody's going to be game to tell me that I don't have a right to be angry about, about abuse. But 
The point is that no matter how justified that anger is, it's going to destroy me in the end. Mm. And so being able to, to learn that God has provided a way for us to forgive others as he's forgiven us is a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's yeah. the power of the gospel, isn't it? The it is. work yeah. of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's wonderful. Yeah. So uh, I've heard people say many times that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah, that's yeah, right. The person that's... ends up killing is yourself. And, yeah. and it seems very logical when you're in that very angry place. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, a good question, if you're struggling with anger from the past, a good question to ask yourself is, who is actually paying for your anger? You see? Um, and it'll, it'll certainly be yourself. You'll be paying a high price for it. But there's a lot of other people around you, innocent people, who haven't wounded you and are not the target of your anger and they're copying it through your cynicism and sarcasm and mm. and put downs and whatever mm. absolutely that's a great summary i think it'd be good to throw it open to the panel on that particular question about how faith you know a lot of people listening to this podcast or maybe even in the room today aren't of a faith perspective and so how do you find that faith and mental health kind of intersect and, and what have you found helpful as a person of faith just to touch on what graham said i said be angry get very angry. There are things we really need to get angry about. Jesus did gives us authority, right? But don't stay angry. Be sad, but don't say, stay sad. And these, all the emotions God created for our benefit, and whether we are walking in a Christian faith or any other religious beliefs or whatever it is, we all have them because we're human beings. So we are not separate to someone who doesn't know Christ. We are the same. The difference is we have a faith that we can trust and put our hope in that Christ is walking with us. So that, that gives us life, gives us renewal. Hopefully we can bounce back a little bit quicker. Not always, and that's why we journey with people in it. Uh, there's some Bible verses that I find um, really um, supportive in this domain. Um, and... I'll just read a couple of them. In Philippians 4, 4 tonight, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. Have a peaceful mind. And it talks about that. It doesn't list with the exception of if you're dealing with trauma, if you're dealing with this or that. So there's a time and a season for everything that we need to work through, um, but we can't stay there. And in Ephesians 4, 23 to 24, it says, Be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind. So we need to continually come back to Christ and ask for help. Um, and I suppose in a world where um, we don't always look to Christ, how, how do we deal with that? How do we let go of things that are making us angry and hurt? So it's learning how to forgive. And I think in the world that we live in, um, we sometimes get confused about forgiveness means forgetting. We don't forget. Um, we, we learn through the journeys that we walk through um, and we, we need to let go of some things but we need to hold on to some of the teachings and learnings from others. So, um, yeah, just don't get confused with forgiving means forgetting. Um, forgiving means to let go so that you are free. Yes, that's, that's a very, very important point. Mm. Um, I hear people say all the time that, that I can forgive but I can't forget. That's the truest statement there is about forgiveness. You can forgive, but you can't forget. Mm -hmm. and, and it's 
One of the things that has been very important in my own journey is to raise up painful memories as a reminder of my healing rather than the hurt. So that, I, I can't tell the whole story, but there used to be a name on a big transport truck. Every time I drove on the road, I'd see this name. Uh, and it, would remind, it was the same name as my abuser. So it would trigger off all this anger and hurt and so on. And one day, it seemed like God said to me, Graham, those yellow transport trucks ha have been like tombstones to you. And, and every time you see one of those, it reminds you of death and loss and, and pain. But I want to convert your tombstone into a milestone. Now, you've got to be very old to know what a milestone is. <laughs> Not that old. Not that old. What is a milestone, Graham? It used to be a little, <laughs> used to be a little white rock. And, and it had a number on it, and it told you how far you'd come since you passed the, far, the, passed the last one. Right, OK. And, uh, and, and that's really worked for me, you know, that, that I can't forget the town where I was abused, or the school, or the room, or the teacher, or the events, or the smells and the words, and those, those will come back from time to time, but, but they're only, they're, they're milestones. They're telling me, that reminding me that I live in the freedom of forgiveness, and, and that's, that's powerful. Mm. Absolutely. One thing I neglected to do before was to welcome your wife, Julia, who's here with you today. Yes, she is. Great to yes. Where, where's Julia? Yes. Yes. Over there. Over there. Oh, yes. Welcome. So I'll ask you another question off script. Um, <laughs> when you're dealing with things in life and going through stuff, um, and this can be for any of you, yeah. uh, and you are married, um, what are some of the important, I guess, boundaries to put in place with your, with your spouse, but what are some of the ways they can also support you? Right. Uh, if you'd asked me to come on this panel last year, I'd have come, but I would have come as Exhibit A, not as a panel member. Yeah, okay. uh, last year was uh, my... What did the Queen call it? Anus Herobolus or something. <laughs> um, uh, for me, um, I woke up one morning uh, shaking and trembling and not being able to breathe and uh, I'd reached a burnout stage in my life and the, the um, symptoms were uh, anxiety and depression and um, had a whole year um, dealing with that. And Julia has always has been... Um, uh, a tremendous support in that. Um, well, one of the things, uh, you know, this seems strange for a pastor to say, but one of the things that happens when you're depressed is that, that reading the scriptures and praying is very, very difficult. Because when you read the scriptures, the only verses that stand out to you are the ones about losing your salvation uh, or, or facing judgment or something like that. And... Um, and praying is, is painful because you feel like you've called out to God and he hasn't helped much. Um, and so we've always had a habit of praying together and reading the scriptures together. So what, and that was, that was helpful that we always had that habit and we built that in. But the beautiful thing is that Julia is able to just step in and do that when I can't do that and do that for me. So it's like the balm of Gilead being poured on the wound. So... 
I, I think working in partnership for those of us who are married, but also building around us um, friends and mentors who uh, we can talk to honestly and who can hold us accountable. Yeah. Mm. So next year we're, we're launching a leadership podcast next year and I did the first one a couple of weeks ago with Pastor Alan DeMond from oh, New yes. Hope Baptist and, and he was talking about um, something he was convicted on in his life when he, he used to go home to his wife and kind of, bleh, you know, all the issues of church and life and whatever. And in the end, I think he realised that it was actually having an impact on her as well. Yes. So what, what would any of you say towards boundaries for not just a spouse but, um, you know, people in your life that are close? You know, you want confidence but you also don't want people that you're just kind of vomiting all over all the time. So um, that's a good, good analogy, isn't it? Um, yeah, so any thoughts on that? I tell my husband very little because most of the time the thing sometimes when I do tell him, he goes, should you quit work? Yeah. <laughs> so the answer is no. So I have different people that I've hand-selected based on what I know they can, what their capacity is and what they can feed into me. So my husband is my number one, but when it comes to work stuff, I'm very selective. So that, that's where the boundaries come in. And having you know, a couple of people that you know will intercedingly pray for you when you're going through that time, when you don't feel like praying, that you know you can say, keep me in prayer, uphold me in prayer. So having a team that actually is like your, David had five mighty men, Jesus had 12, find yours. Yeah, awesome. So uh, as Christians, we know that we're in a spiritual battle. You know, there's spiritual warfare going on all the time. A lot of people in the world will never recognise that, but I think we do. And so there's times where probably all of us feel, you know, up and down and, and all that sort of stuff. How do we know the difference between whether we're just in a spiritual battle on something or whether we're actually starting to suffer the symptoms of mental health decline? I, I don't think that's a decision you can come to on your own. Um, um, you need a group around you who are praying with you and thinking that through with you. Um, we've all seen examples of people who have so spiritualized what's happening to them that they're not getting the help and the treatment that they should be getting. And they've made that decision on their own and it doesn't matter who speaks into their lives, they will not change that. Um, spiritual warfare is a very, very real thing, but but can't be fought on our own we need to fight it with others and it can't be recognized or acknowledged on our own so again the concept of a mentor we've been in ministry nearly 60 years and i i always have a mentor still have a mentor mm -hmm. and um, and that person whoever it is at any particular time is the person who holds you accountable uh, to to speak about the things that need to be spoken about that that perhaps you don't want to burden your spouse with uh, in detail. Um, so it makes you a healthier person so you can have a healthier marriage. Yes. And, um, but then that has to be an agreement that has come to between the couple because some, some spouses couldn't bear not knowing everything and it's more stress if they can't. So you've got to come to some sort of agreement on that and it also depends on your ministry. If you're a counsellor, you can't talk about it anyway, <laughs> uh, even if you want to, uh, because confidentiality is the issue. Mm. Any thoughts on that, James, uh, around the spiritual warfare stuff? Uh, 
You know, I had um, I had a missionary once tell me that once they've prayed for someone a few times and the issue hasn't been dealt with spiritually, then they would immediately start looking at the mental health aspect, which I thought was kind of helpful for me because, you know, it's been difficult uh, trying to navigate that. And a lot of presentations that I've worked with of psychosis involved extraordinarily spiritual language. Yes. Uh, and everything that they framed for me was very spiritual language from young people that had no church background at all and so that used to kind of mess with me a little bit but then I also think part of the spiritual warfare um, reality is that the system that we are in is part of that spiritual warfare system so the systems of our society the things that are around us are a part of that and perpetuate that um, ideologies and, and things that we often accept without really thinking it through I think we, we allow spaces like, you know, I would, I would say that there's a spiritual reality to uh, just the, the constant rush that people are in all of the time. And it's why uh, Sabbath is such an important thing and such a deep kingdom principle to push back on systems of rush that would just deplete you constantly all the time of energy, spiritually, physically and emotionally. Sabbath restores that. And so it's even having an understanding about the, the spaces we find ourselves in and applying spiritual realities to the physical. Because when Satan said to Jesus, if you bow down, he didn't offer him this like, you know, emerald city in some spiritual realm. He said all the kingdoms of the world can be yours. And so the spiritual reality is actually very tangible as much as it is abstract as well. Yeah, and mental ill health will make you more vulnerable to spiritual attack as well because you're you're in a, a negative frame of mind and you're finding it hard to accept truth and accept love and be in relationship with people so you're a lot more vulnerable to spiritual attack yeah. mm. it's one of the things i love about the bible it's got so much ancient wisdom that people say oh it's outdated and it's irrelevant irrelevant but things like sabbath and rest yeah. and all those things are so important and they're just as maybe even more critical right now than they've ever been before and so we can come back to some of those practices reading the word, prayer, meditation, rest, Sabbath, all those things can be incredibly helpful to maintain good, good mental health. Mm. Excellent. So before, um, Graham, you mentioned in an earlier answer that many of those who manifest symptoms of mental illness have experienced deep emotional wounding. Mm. Does the Bible address healing from emotional woundedness? Oh, I... Certainly, um, in a number of, number of ways. One is... One is what I've already said about the, uh, the fact that Jesus has already died for our shame and our hurt and our anger and he's paid the price for that and so we're, we're um, free to re receive that and apply that. Uh, I should say at this point, however, that if forgiveness is an issue that you think you'd like to pursue, then, then you need to pursue that because it's one thing for a preacher to tell you that you should forgive. It's another thing to tell you how to forgive. We're not always given the why. And so there are some very helpful steps in that and uh, a lot of literature around uh, uh, to help you in that. And if there's not enough literature, I've just written a book anyway. <laughs> and, and it's available. I have it today <laughs> for 20 bucks. <laughs> um, but uh, the, 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 other, the other principle, I think, is the... There are three things that Jesus has told us to do as he has done for us. One is to love one another 
as he loves us. The other is to forgive one another as he's forgiven us. And Paul says in Romans, accept one another as, as Christ has accepted you. And, and so what, what is really important here is that we apply the love, forgiveness and acceptance, unlimited love and forgiveness and acceptance, first to ourselves. First to ourselves. The hardest thing for someone who's been through childhood trauma or past trauma, even if it was just last year, the hardest thing to do with that is to come out of it without shame or blame or guilt or a sense of failure. God, God wants you to know that you're never, if you're in Christ, you're never meant to carry those things. Express them, talk about them, pray with people about them, but don't ever repress them. Because when you repress them, you push them down, it's like trying to store nuclear waste. It'll find its way through the pores of your personality somehow, and it will wound you. And the scripture teaches us that. In Ephesians 4 it says, put away bitterness, uh, malice, resentment. Why? Because they don't belong to you anymore. They're not your possession. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Right? That, that we have to hand over, even when we feel that the person who has wounded us needs to somehow, uh, uh, there needs to be justice done, then it's God who's going to do the justice. It's not... It's not us, and we need to hand them over. So those principles are the really important principles. The, the principle of, um, of uh, prayer is very important, but sometimes you're going in, when you're deep in hurt, you need the prayer of others, not, not just your own prayer, because you've got the feeling it's not getting much further than the ceiling. Somebody takes authority in your life through prayer and in Jesus' name, that's a really powerful and helpful tool as well. Yeah, very good. So we touched on self-care a little bit. Candy, do you want to just tell us a little bit about what role self-care should play in our lives? And maybe just turn it personal, what are some of the things you do for self-care personally? My favourite topic. <laughs> when I got the question, I went, yes! Um, because simply because, you know, um, I start with God worked for six days and then he created a Sabbath day for rest. Jesus changed the rule. He did it every day. But when God, God works six days and rests on the Sabbath day so that we can start from a place of rest. So highlights that we need to start from self-care. We need to start with our cup full or having a bit more in a oomph in the day because if we start from empty, then how much have we got to give? So some of the things I do for self-care is I try and go camping at least once a month even if it's just weekend. That's my new favorite hobby. Um, you know, so, and self-care for everyone is different, but it is stopping in the day. It could be just going for a walk because exercise is important. Self-care has to encompass a, a real holistic viewpoint. Exercise is not just for our physical body, it's also for our mental health. It's also for our spiritual health. Because if we take a walk and we start to recognize what God has created for us to enjoy, we start to become really appreciative that we've got breath and that we can breathe clean air, especially around here. And so in every aspect, we can incorporate, you know, we eat, it's for our, we say food for thought, it actually feeds our brain. So watch what you eat, that is self-care. The more junk you put in, the more junk's gonna come out. 
Mm. Okay? It, it not only helps our mental health, it helps our uh, physical health. And scripture is good food for our spirit. Mm. So th these are things, and I, I could go on, but these are things we have to find pleasure in. Fun is one of my favorite words. Find something that you can have fun with at least once a week. I'm, I'm getting some smiling faces and some <laughs> looking at me like, what are you talking about? Yeah. If you can't find something to have fun, something that you enjoy doing, it, it can be with someone, it can be alone. If you're an introvert, you probably definitely want to do it alone. Okay? <laughs> if you're an extrovert, find a few people and do something fun. Make sure you laugh. Make sure you get the giggles. Make sure you're not watching just sad movies or war movies. Watch some comedies. <laughs> Everything we put in through our senses will impact us in some way or another. So watch what you're doing. Go for a massage. Ladies, you know, you've got an excuse. Okay, but massages are good. It's good touch, if, especially if you enjoy it. If you don't, stay away. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Um, guys love to be active. Go throw a ball, kick a ball. Don't throw a ball at anybody. But, you know, um, write things down. I often say to people, if you want to, want to download and something not so good has happened, write it on toilet paper, flush it. You know where it's going. In incorporate a few acts in your day that goes, okay, I want to get rid of this. Whether it's a thought, whether it's an action, whether you're really struggling to forgive someone, write it down somewhere, rip it up, throw it out, Make a point to get rid of stuff so that you're not carrying it. Some things are just not meant to be carried. Yeah. Sometimes we get so used to packing a backpack and just adding things to it instead of unpacking it. Yeah. Stop at least once a week before we're in the presence of God is generally best because he likes to, you know, just poke the ones we don't want to look at. Put it down on a table and look at it and go, what am I carrying? What are the things that are really bothering me? These things help us maintain really good self-care. Mm. That you know, really lifts our spiritual health, really lifts our physical health, and then you know, exercise is a swear word where as far as I'm concerned, but movement is very important. We were created to move. Yeah, we were not created to sit still. We were created to move. So move. Get rhythms happening. We have a heart rate that moves. Everything about us was created to move. So move. If you don't like exercise, it's fine. But move. Mm. Couch to the fridge, to the couch to the fridge. Kind of move the remote out of your hand. <laughs> Men, especially. Yeah. You know, take the phone away from your bedside if your excuse is that it's my alarm for the morning. Put it in the bathroom so you have to get up to go to turn it off. Or get an old school alarm clock. Or get an old yeah, school alarm clock. Do little things that, you know, changes your rhythm. If you're used to getting up and following, you know, following a routine, change your routine slightly. Even if one thing a day, it will start to change your brain patterns. And it will keep you quite active. Hmm. So I think doing the hard work of finding out self-care-wise what works for you. So Absolutely. what works for someone else might not work for you. So just doing the work of working out what are the things that actually recharge me. So if I did more camping, it probably wouldn't be good for my marriage. My Take wife your wife like with you. Oh. There's, there's various ways to do camping. Well, she won't sleep under the stars unless there's only five stars. 
And then shoot. And, and, and what's wrong with that? <laughs> I'm a pastor, so the bank account doesn't really support that. Maybe it's more than once a month or, you know, less than once a month. Yeah, but okay. It, find, find your thing, yeah? Find your thing. What, what doesn't work for one works for another, so find your thing. Yeah. I may not have any lunch today, so if anyone's got, you know, open house, <laughs> I'll come over today. But can, can I just add to that, Luke, just briefly? You know, Jesus says to love God with our whole being, but then he says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. For me, that's like self-care 101 scripturally. We, have, we can only love out of the abundance with which we're able to love ourselves. And I'm a very, like, my head is very noisy. I'm always thinking I, I don't like my own company a lot. But some of the things that have really helped, I mean, City Life is a Pentecostal church. Uh, so, you know, the more we up the volume and up the lights sometimes, that's, you know, evidence that God is in the building. <laughs> but, um, you know... We don't even have lights. You know, I know, we don't even have lights and God's in the building. So... Been away from time the disparity, <laughs> the disparity is so... We're the light of the world here, mate. But, so, yeah. you know, I would really encourage spiritual practices to be really diverse in your spiritual practices. Parents, teach your young people how to be really diverse in reading scripture. You know, they didn't do, um, like, quiet times in the early church because no one had a copy of the Bible Everything was done publicly and then accountability and community. Um, one, of my, one of the things that's been really helpful for me has been the prayer of St. Ignatius because it's contemplative and there's five rhythms to it and it allows me to work my way through the day uh, to, to look for places of repentance, uh, moments of gratitude, uh, and, then, and then prepare myself for how I would start the following day. And so those kind of things, breath prayers... I mean, these are, these are not often things that we think about, but a lot of the stuff that, you know, the new age and that you hear on, like, sunrise is, like, this, like, amazing way to, like, navigate the Western world. Christianity has a rich culture of all of these practices already, and we need to, we need to bring some of these things alive, and especially for our young people, they need to be given more tools to navigate and find rhythms and practices that would fit them uh, so that they can carry them with them into adulthood and through uni and all those kind of things so that they have a deep spiritual and rich experience with the Holy Spirit and with, and with Jesus on a daily basis. Yeah. So good, mate. Really good. Um, we're running out of time, so just one more question, or a couple of questions, but first for you, James. I heard you speak recently on another panel about um, the importance of being like an everyday friend um, to someone struggling, and what is your responsibility towards those in your life? So I think you talked about not trying to be everything to someone, and the importance of friendship. Yeah, uh, I, I just think that um, sometimes we can, we can go on to Google Doctor and sort of almost as insert ourselves as part of the care team for someone around them, but there are professionals, and Leanne, Leanne touched on this, there are professionals with skill sets specific to caring for those people. But if you try and become too much of a care person in their life, what you actually do is you remove the, the relationships in their life that just need to be friends. Like parents, they need you to be parents, not, not, not a pseudo-counsellor for them. Friends, they don't need you just to care. Because what can happen is, and this is what mental health does, this is what the father of lies does, he says that your anxiety is all that there is to you or your depression is all that there is to you. But in actual fact, that's one facet of their whole being. And so 
whatever your relationship to that person is, you need to have the conversation with them that that's your relationship. You set those boundaries because they will need friends who will just grab them and say, let's head off to the beach. Let's go down to Lesterfield Lake and have a walk. You know, no, I'm not your counsellor, but I am your parent, and so I need to hold boundaries in place. And so it allows them to, to maintain the normality of relationships that they have around them, and everybody doesn't become obsessed and just about... Uh, whatever the, the mental ill health presentation it is that they're experiencing. Um, and then, you know, I, I really like this um, Friedman, who is, who is now passed away, but a very clever um, uh, rabbi and also family therapist. He talks about being a non-anxious presence, you know, and um, Mark Sayers has spoken about how Jesus is the non-anxious presence that we all have with us. And so in that, we want to create spaces of shalom and peace for those people. And that's our primary responsibility for them when they're wrestling with, with uh, issues of mental ill health. Thank you, James. Yep. Can I just add something small? Um, usually people will be drawn to people who are people pleasers and care for others too um, because it's in your nature to respond and this is something I've had to learn over many years um, that I like to help people. So what can also happen though is that person can become very reliant on you but you can then become reliant on needing to be needed um, and to want to care and to want to be the person that fixes or saves or um, and so you hold that whole thing when it, it's not your responsibility to do that. So I suppose I just encourage all of you who are people pleasers or carers or, um, you know, are really focused on loving others like God asks us to, just to be careful that you're not going too far with that um, because then that person can't cope in life with anyone else in life and they need to and you need that too. That's really important. That's been my Achilles heel all my life, <laughs> but it's a very important one. But I wanted to comment on James saying um, don't try to be simply a counsellor or a pastoral carer, be a friend, be, be whatever the relationship you have with that person is appropriate. And um, we, we lost our beautiful 18-year-old granddaughter two years ago and uh, on the day of her death, my son put his arm around me and said, Dad, we, we don't need you to be a pastor. We need you to be our papa. And that's really powerful, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it reminds us that we need to be authentic in our relationships with people. Mm, absolutely. Who's found this helpful today? It's been very helpful, hasn't it? We could... Um We could talk all day about this stuff. I think it's um, been very rich and very deep and very helpful, so thank you very much. But just want to point you to the website. Uh, our website is just www.follow.church. Um, there's a little tab you'll see down the bottom left-hand corner there. It says Need Help. Um, and so a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today you'll find on that. Um, so it's cut off on the screen, unfortunately, but on the website it's not. So you can go to the website, and there's a whole bunch of um, numbers there that are helpful for different things, things like Lifeline, if someone's... Um, having suicidal thoughts is a, a very helpful line there. Kids Helpline for, for younger kids. Headspace. Do you want to just touch on Headspace for us, James, some of the stuff they provide down there? Oh, Headspace provide all sorts of programs. Um, 
But what I, what I would say, rather than touching on Headspace, access to Headspace is via a mental health care plan. Mm -hmm. So in order to, you can find out all of the programs that they run if you go on um, to into, onto the Headspace website. And the closest is Nariwaran from here, and then there's also Dandenong, and they're linked. But when you, when you ring up a, your local doctor, it's important to see if you can find a doctor in your area who um, states that they have... Uh, specific skills around mental health because they have a better understanding and you can actually find doctors that are appropriately geared towards helping people uh, with mental health uh, presentations and then make sure you book in two appointments with them at the same time so that you get an extended amount of time with the doctor so that you can really take your time uh, to go through that process and do the K10 uh, questionnaire with them. And so once that mental health care plan is done, then that will be your pathway into services uh, like Headspace and that kind of a thing. So getting that appointment, make sure you book two appointments back to back so that you get an extended time and you can find online doctors that are skilled with mental health and they will be a little more helpful in terms of that process yeah yeah excellent so first port of call is to go to your gp yeah. yep very good excellent so if you go to the website there's a whole bunch of other services there that you'll find helpful um, at the end of we're just going to sing a song and close in a minute but at the end um, all the panel members have agreed to be here to pray and to chat with you if you want to chat more um, I'm going to invite the elders and the prayer team to come forward to pray as well but I just want to say once again thanks a lot to the panel so why don't we just give them a huge round of applause thanks for joining us for our weekly message if you're in the southeast area of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us at our Sunday morning service. All the details can be found on our website at follow.church or you can find us on social media at follow Baptist Church.